Welcome to Bickering Peaks with Aiden and Lindsay. You're Lindsay. You're Aiden. And this is Bickering Peaks. Yes, it is. And this week, well, this episode again, I always say this week, I was used to our weekly uh, cadence. And, yes. And uh, we've since changed that up, you know, about a year ago. We've but been I've doing this for this. <laughs> longer than we've been yeah. doing the other way. But I still, it's just nice yeah. to have a weekly podcast, but now it's an episode. A fortnight ago. Yes. Uh, one fortnight hence, uh, we, uh, <laughs> hence, that's hence in, in the future. future, whatever, Lindsay, don't get complicated on me now. Uh, uh, this week, this episode, this Fortnite, not the video game, we are talking about the greatest, the greatest game, game ever played. played. Hockey. No. Wrong. No. Totally incorrect. For I don't the know. last time. I don't know what I, I'm not a hockey fan either. I'm betraying my Canadian roots here, but, um. You're not any sports fan. I'm really not. You're I not played basketball. Sportser. I played volleyball. But. I, I don't really watch a lot of sports. No, you're not a spectator of sports. No, I'm not. I enjoy going to games and going to yes. sporting events. Yes, you get the atmosphere, you yes. get the vibe. Popcorn, get the... beer, it's all great. Yeah. But watching them at home. On TV. Not my thing. Not your thing. And so why golf, did you watch this movie? <laughs> golf is my least favorite of, of all yes. the sports that I could be potentially subjected to by you, Aiden, yes. who in- regularly enjoys... A good football match, a footy match. Yes. Um, American and or European. Less American these days, but yes, occasionally the the odd Super Bowl I will engage in. Yeah. Uh, Canadian have, football. Yeah, yeah, sure, if it's on. Yeah. Um, but I don't watch much TV, so it's not on very often. That's true. But golf, I have to say, also my least favorite quote unquote spectator sport. So again, your question was apt. Why did we? <laughs> Why well, did we, because we our podcast. Why. It came up in the... Very naturally, because yeah. this film, it's a 2005 film, yep. and it was written by Mark Frost. Yes. Um, and it is based on a, not well, not a novel. It's, no, it's, it's, it's a, a non-fiction, non-fiction retelling of the, or recounting, I guess, of the actual events that the movie is based on, yeah. um, and that uh, the book is based on. Yeah. Mark Frost also wrote the yeah. book. He wrote the um, book on the movie. He wrote the book on the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so, I mean, we knew this was coming. And I, I'm not, I didn't dread it, but I, I have, okay, my, my, my history with golf is a little, um, touchy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandparents are both golfers, yep. had been golfers for a very, very long time. We're members of the PGA and the LPGA respectively. And, um, in addition to, uh, being part of one of the storied Alberta, um, curling rinks, the Malat family rink. Um, they were also very, very good golfers, and so they tried very, very hard for to to encourage my brothers and I to play golf. And I spent far too many summer days dragged along to par three, three par golf courses around Alberta to. Um, you know, in in pursuit of this, and I hated every minute of it. Yeah. Um, and they made me watch golf, and they they made me learn about golf, and I mean Arnold Palmer sweaters and like the whole clothing, like the it, it, the whole thing. It's tainted drinks, my childhood completely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I did not have. Such How many an times have you played golf? I played golf once with you. Yes. Uh, and that was it. Uh, yeah. you know the occasional. 
um, mini golf. golf. Yeah, that's about it. So not as close a connection yeah. to the sport yeah. um, and really no connection whatsoever to the story that's told in this film. No. Um, it is set in 1913. T- yes, thank you. Um, well, the main story is. there. Yes. It jumps around a little bit, but um, the main uh, golf-related incidents are in 1913, and it tells the story of... Um, the first amateur player to ever win the United States Open. Yes. His name was? Francis Wimay. Mm-hmm. Also, Francis Wimet, I yeah. think, is the the anglicization of that name. Yeah. Um, an actual person, historical figure who lived in... Uh, it was around Boston, Brooklyn? Brookline, I think? No, Brookline is the name of the, the course oh, that okay. um, he was at. But uh, it was in... Brookline, Massachusetts. So yeah, I guess you're not, yeah. you're not far. But Brookline was the name of the course that they played at in 1913. Um, but yes, he, he came out of nowhere. He was a young man who uh, rose from an inauspicious beginning, mm-hmm. the son of a French-Canadian father, working-class guy, and an Irish mother, I believe, yeah. who um, yeah, yeah, like didn't have the background to play golf. Golf at that point in time was a wealthy person's sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a caddy and he managed to make it into to, to play this game and not only uh, played but beat the world champion at the time, Harry Varden, who is still considered one of the best British golfers of all time of all time. Yeah. Um, so it's still a fairly impressive story. And I mean, it's a Disney film. So yes, starring Shia LaBeouf. Um, yeah. This is pre-Transformers Shia yes. LaBeouf when he was still basically a Disney star. Correct. I th- yeah. I think he'd appeared in a diggers or holes or what? Holes. It was holes. holes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and that was his claim to fame uh, at this point, basically. Yeah. He did a few things like uh, guest appearances and freaks and geeks he was in and oh, like yeah. a few TV shows here yeah. and there, Disney Channel stuff too, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was starting to make a, a star of himself. So this was his, I think, one of the biggest roles he'd had up to that point. And um, and he did a great job he in, did. This, in this film. Yeah. Uh, he's he's really... He is the main character, mm-hmm. uh, Francis Wimay. Uh, but he there there is almost a second main character. Yeah. Um, and the film is really interesting that way, and we'll we'll talk about it. But uh, it's the British golfer Harry Varden. Varden, sorry. Um, he's really the almost the main character as well. And the, the two are obviously they're drawn into obvious parallels, and there's there's a lot of emphasis on the similarity of their stories, mm-hmm. um, and that really helps build both of them up in a, in an interesting way. So we'll we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But Lindsay, you wanted to give. A brief history on the sport of golf. I did. And the reason I wanted to do this is because the film begins in the 1880s or 1870s. 1873 or something. Yeah, yeah. when Harry Varden is a young boy and his cottage, very small, run-down cottage. cottage. Yeah, yeah. in Jersey, in, in the UK, is having his home demolished to make way for a golf course. And it sets young Harry Varden on a path to success. But it got, it, it introduces, the film itself introduces us, and I presume the book as well, introduces us to the sport of golf from this historical standpoint of the 1870s, which is when golf was starting to become more popularized and more um, kind of, the culture of golf was starting to spring up, right? So golf has a long history. There's no one place where golf 
kind of originates even though the popular story is that it, it's a scottish game mm-hmm. there's evidence of people playing golf in rome in ancient rome um and in the song dynasty in china during the years 960 to about 1279 um and the, it's all variations on the same thing you'd yeah. have a ball yeah. that you'd strike with a club-shaped stick to get into a hole to get into a it's hole it's really not a complicated or, game you know, right croquet is very yeah. similar yeah. um and i think you can see you know with games like lacrosse and hockey there's even some similarities similarities there, yeah. there right and yeah. so cultures from all around the world have some version of this game it seems Mm -hmm. but the game that we know and the game that that grew up to become golf that we play today was or can usually be traced back to the 1450s in scotland and it was um at one point outlawed by the king because it detracted from military training which i thought (laughs) was really funny because i don't think golf can detract or distract anybody from much of anything. Um, People love it, Lindsay. <laughs> I understand that, and and I can't begrudge them that because there. There are many strange things you love. Absolutely, so. <laughs> like my documentary watching. <laughs> exactly, or your husband. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it became popular in Great Britain in the 17th century, and the first British Open was in 1860, so shortly before the events of this film and the mm. story begin. The British Open, of course, is still played today. It's, yep. the I think, the obviously the longest-running golf tournament in the world. Um, after the British Open began, the uh, popularity of golf kind of spread around the world with the first golf club, interestingly enough, in North America, opening in Montreal in 1873. Oh, there you go. Canada's Royal Montreal Club was what it was called. And then it moved on into the States, and um, the first 18-hole golf course in the United States was in Chicago. Near Chicago, Wheaton, Illinois. Okay. Um, in 1893, so 20 years after Montreal had it. Hmm. I say interestingly enough, because this film was filmed entirely in Montreal at the yep. Kanawaki Golf Club, Golf which Club, is yeah. just south of Montreal, south yep, of the south island. Of the island yeah. So it's um, it was filmed entirely in Canada, which I thought was kind of cool. And then now there's this interesting link here with the first golf club, golf club. in North America being from Montreal as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so the United States Golf Association is what governs golf in the United States today. It was founded in the year 1894. The PGA wasn't started until 1916. So at the time when this film was made, the USGA was the governing body. And they were the ones who had this rule in place that amateurs were not allowed to play in the U.S. Open. Um, Why is that, Aiden? Why were amateurs not allowed to play in the U.S. Open? Well, the film doesn't make it quite clear, except for that it's a class thing, basically. Yeah, Uh, they kind of whack you over the head a little bit with the class distinctions here. Um, And it's across the board. Uh, You know, again, Varden also has similar class things, which we'll talk about. But yes, it's made very clear that uh, golf is an aristocrat's game. Um, Even in New Age America, uh, where a man can pull himself up by the bootstraps and Mm. you know his merits will pave the way for his fortune um it's golf is not an avenue for such success uh it's made clear as uh we may kind of goes through his journey and uh is pushed down again and again because of his father's working class status and Mm -hmm. um, his lack of funds and his lack of education and uh so on and so forth yeah um 
so they they did have different uh, tournaments that you could play as an amateur. Yeah. But obviously at this point, um, and today, it's it's still today, amateurs can play in the PGA. There are invitation-only tournaments like yeah. the... Um, the Masters. The Masters, yeah. the Riders Cup, yeah. maybe? Sure. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe the Arnold Palmer Invitational that are um, obviously professionals only. But... At this point in time, yeah, you had to have money in order to do this. So um, that's basically where the conflict in the story starts yeah. uh, with Francis and Harry's story kind of paralleling one another because, like Aiden said, they both come from these rather lower working class situations and rise up through the ranks to become amazing golfers, amazing golfers yeah. and household names. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that kind of takes us up to, I mean, without getting into, we don't need to go further into the 1900s with um, with PGA history, but we can continue on with the maybe the plot. Maybe do a little bit of a plot. Sure, let's, let's summarize the plot. So it does start with uh, Thomas Varden. <laughs> oh, my God. Harry Varden. Harry Varden. Why? I, you just, you know what? Names. It's my fault. I, make them up. I threw it to you, and, and yeah, you, you can't I should count know on better. Me to know names. I really yeah. should. So, uh, Harry, Harry Varden. Varden uh, it starts off with him, uh, and you see his house basically getting demolished, and he's, he uh, confronts these four uh, very austere looking aristocrats from, from England uh, as they say, Oh, we're serving this land for a golf course and then what's golf he yeah says. what's uh, and then we get the start uh and then it kind of cuts to francis's story of him growing up you know as a caddy watching uh all these other players play on this brookline course um and then it cuts to him as a young man uh also still caddying many years mm-hmm. later but he's been practicing his whole life you know he's been putting in the 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 bedroom at home right. uh you know practicing his chips it should and stuff. It, it is worth mentioning that an early meeting between Francis Wimmy oh, yes, and sorry. Harry Varden does occur does when Francis is maybe 10 yeah. years old or so. Um, he meets him during a, a tour of America that Harry Varden is on and he gives him a very quick golf lesson in front yeah. of a crowd of people. Um, Francis has skipped school with his mother's help yeah. so that he can go and meet this man who is, you know, he's his legend, like, yeah, yeah, he would be like Arnold Palmer yeah. or... Uh, Tiger Woods yeah. or Rory McIlroy today, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that kind of sets him up on this on this path. Knowing that he can't play is kind of the driving force for the conflict in the story. Not just that he can't play because of his financial station, but because his father, yes. played by Casey Jones, yeah, <laughs> from the original three Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> Elias Cotius? I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. But, but he's Casey Jones. Yeah. He plays uh, Francis' father and he's very discouraging of anything that Francis wants to do related to golf. So, aside from caddying, because yeah. that's earning yeah, an honest, honest wage. wage yeah. But there's a lot of class warfare, not just from the top down, but from the bottom up, right? Yeah. Where nobody trusts one another, nobody likes one another. And that seems to be something that um, it's very Mark Frost thing to kind of focus on and mm-hmm. to, to play that um, those dynamics against one another. Um, just, I, I feel like that's a, a Mark Frost touch there. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, so we follow uh, young Francis uh, up through adulthood, and he gets a big break. Basically, the the Owner guys who manage the club, the manager club, of the club. I don't know. Uh, he's he's one of the guys there. Uh, he uh, he. 
basically says, oh, you come come shoot with me this this day and then uh they watch him and they realize he's really good he hits like a four over par on the first time he's ever played his own course um so he's a natural and you know he's his mother had kept a scrapbook of his winning amateur tournaments as a high school student yeah. and everything like he's obviously played but he doesn't play at that level and he can't play at a course as prestigious as brookline so when he gets the first chance he does really well and they recommend him to uh, become uh, or to enter in as an amateur yeah. to uh, go to the amateur national championships, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, so he has to um, hit like a three over par or something like that. He has to improve his stroke just a, a little bit um, in order to uh, make the cutoff and get sent to the national championship. Yep. Um, so that kind of starts the initial conflict for him uh, of him practicing, getting ready for this. Um, and it's also his first taste of the golf aristocracy lifestyle. So he, uh, he's invited to a party when he's invited, when he's invited to participate in this opener and, uh, he meets the love interest, uh, whose name I will totally forget. Um, apparently she was, the actress also played a character in Mad Men. Yes, she did. So we will call her Mad Milady. (laughs) No, we won't. That's a terrible idea. Lindsay is, as we speak, looking up the name of the character. The name of the character is Sarah Wallace. Sarah Wallace. Played by Peyton List. Peyton List. Who played Roger Sterling's second wife in in the later seasons of Mad Men. Yes. Um, And she is a aristocrat through and through. She's going to a finishing school. I don't know if she's a historical figure or not. This is the one... We, you know, having not read the book, it's actually hard to track down. None of the bookstores in our area had them. I did look and I was going to buy it as an ebook, but I kind of wanted the hard copy so I can look at the pictures. But um, I assumed there would be pictures. I just kind of. But anyway, sure. I'm going to order it and then hopefully we'll talk about it when we do our Mark Frost novel podcast yeah. in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, so I have no idea if she's an actual real character it doesn't seem like if she is she might be a composite of several characters because it fits too cleanly into that class distinction warfare thing that's going on because of course she is um from that upper echelon her brother and her father are both very much against they're they're you know prime antagonists i think in terms of the story against Francis playing, playing in, in anything, anything that has to do with professionals or, yeah. or with upperclassmen, yeah. right? So any chance they get to kind of put him down, they take. Yeah. Uh, so as luck will have it, they kind of get inside Francis's head a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, his father's very upset that he's playing golf at yeah. this thing. So we, uh, Casey Jones uh, corners Francis and says, I will let you play in this tournament if when you lose because he's so sure his son's mm-hmm. gonna lose when you lose that you never play golf again and yep. you give this up and you go and get a trade and make an honest, honest living honest wage yeah an honest right? wage yeah. Um, and Francis agrees because he's like oh I'm gonna make it of course mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't and this is the first major setback in yeah. uh, Francis's story he uh, they get inside his head and he he basically misses a few shots he gets a little cocky on the 18th hole of the last trial and he's like oh I can make it in five shots easy and then he misses a, a fairly easy putt. Yeah, and, bogeys uh, it, right? Or yeah. Double bogeys? Yeah, bogeys yeah. It. he messes it up, basically. Yeah. And uh, misses the cutoff and therefore doesn't go to the National Open for the amateurs. Right. Um, and he's forced to give up. Yeah. So he goes and he starts working in a... In a I guess the equivalent would be like a footlocker or a sport check. Well, today. I think it seems yeah. like, a, like a sporting, a sporting goods good store. store. It's probably hunting stuff. Yeah, yeah a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
and this is where he works for it. It's unclear a year, six yeah, months, something a like year that. Or two years maybe. until um, is this when the the U.S. Open is announced in Brookline? Yes, and at this time we jump back to England and mm. we go back to Harry Varden's story for a little bit, and he we see that he has, of course, become a huge professional. Uh, he has been for several years already, yes. but he's now. Um, reveling in the fame and fortune and believes that he is going to be offered a spot at some very prestigious club, which would be unheard of for someone of his low stature. Yeah, his low birth to be offered a position in this club. Actually, sorry, we screwed up that a little bit. This is actually before we get the updated... Francis story. But even but. still, it's interesting to to watch this because you you automatically assume that Harry Varden and Francis Wimay are going to be against one another and fighting. But I think the fact that we have them placed on common ground from the beginning yeah. really complicates that story. It's not just a straightforward hero villain type uh, narrative um, because because Harry Varden doesn't get these things. He he's he asked also to has be, the disappointment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He he's not asked to join the club. He's asked to just give golf tutorials yeah. to the members. Yeah. And it's a huge disappointment. It's a huge letdown. And obviously because yeah. he's, he's he's the, the best, best golfer, golfer in the world, in the world yeah. and he's not even even with all of that and the money and the fame, he's still not allowed entrance to that top tier. Yeah. So what chance does Francis have, yeah, right? Who's just a kid from Boston, right? Like he right. doesn't really have much of anything. So um, after, so we go back to Francis and we follow him. And basically, yes, the U.S. Open is announced. Um, and in England, uh, Harry is said, "Oh, well, you have to go back to." There, there's some kind of like shadowy pol- political figure who's kind of pulling uh, Harry's strings and says, "Well, you should go back to America and win their U.S. Open again. Mm-hmm. Show them that." Britain's the best, yeah. right? It's very um, pre-World War One nationalism uh, hysteria kind of thing. It's like, well, Britain's the best in everything except for well, yeah. golf. But also, I think that there's that class distinction, too, that mm-hmm. Britons are better than Americans. Yeah. And because British gentlemen yes. are better than... Well, I wouldn't say that because Americans definitely have class systems. They are... No, no, yeah, but they, they don't have class. They don't yeah. have you know, oh, big okay. C class okay. of... Yeah you know, the uh, English aristocracy, right? right? So yes, so yeah, the the plan is to send their best golfer to beat up all the Americans' exactly. best golfers. They send a couple of them. They send yeah. a couple different golfers. but um, And that obviously riles the feathers, ruffles the feathers of the American champions and the mm-hmm. American winners, including one who did win the last U.S. Open yeah, or a couple previous, years before. Yeah. But so he is hoping that he will win again to prove that it wasn't uh, a fluke. Yeah, and he can beat the best of the exactly. British, Exactly. Right? So the best American golfer and the best British golfers are now going to be facing off at the 1913 U.S. Open, yeah. and this is where Francis gets his chance to shine. His second chance. His second shine. chance <laughs> So uh, basically the organizer of the event says, oh, you know what, I want to add some local flavor, you mm-hmm. know, get some media coverage in the local papers. I'm going to add a local amateur to the uh, event Mm -hmm. and so he approaches Francis through the intermediary of the uh, guys again who run the golf course and Mm -hmm. sponsored uh, Francis earlier Uh, and they offer Francis the opportunity and he turns it down because Mm -hmm. he's he's committed to following through on his promise to his father Um, and but of course that doesn't last he you know he quickly kind of uh, you know he sees the the joys of golf once again and he basically agrees to uh, participate um, which of course angers his father even more. 
Yeah, he um, kicks him out of the house. He, he threatens to we, kick, yeah, kick he him out of the house. Yeah, he says, once this is over, you're, you're going to find a new place to live. Yeah. Um, and so Francis then enters into the tournament anyways because, you know, he's going to do it. And uh, that then, and that's only about half the story, but that is, or half the film, sorry, but that is the whole story. And then the tournament is the rest of the film. Yeah. So it's it's kind of an interestingly paced thing because the the action of these four rounds of golf mm-hmm. over two days and then yep. a playoff at the end makes up half the film. And it is, um, it's very interestingly uh, arranged that way because. Yeah. Uh, the, the plot, I'd say, for the, that first half that we've just described is a little tepid and it's it doesn't move very quick. It doesn't have a whole lot of drama. And the drama it does have is very predictable. You well, know, and then there's that, that shoehorned love story between Francis yeah. and Sarah, which um, really doesn't seem... It's not necessary. It no. feels like it's thrown in there to appeal to the girlfriends of the guys who are going to go see go this see film. This film maybe. In, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's completely necessary. So... Yeah. Then to find out that we have to watch another half of this movie, another hour or so of golf. Um, Lindsay was not excited. No, but (laughs) here's the interesting part. So this was directed by Bill Paxton. It was his last feature film before he passed away. Um, He passed away 10 years later or something like that. But he he never directed another film after this. And... uh, and he makes some really interesting directorial choices Mm -hmm. to film... uh, You know, to make a golf film interesting. Now, I've... Uh, how many golf films are there? Yeah, Tin there's, Cup, there's, I there's think, Tin is Cup, one. The Legend of Bagger Vance was the Which, one you thought yes. this one was. Well, I and I remember when they they came out. They came out very, very close time. in time, yeah. you know, early two thousands. So the Legend of Bagger Vance and the Greatest Game Ever Played really did meld together in yeah. my head, big time. Yeah. But golf is not. It's not like it's a football. It's not like it's Jerry Maguire. It's not yeah. like it's. Um, uh, what are some baseball movies? Oh, Major yeah. League yeah. or... Moneyball, even. And, yeah, yeah like, right? Where they're, you know, they're more exciting, dynamic games yeah. that you can film. Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Mighty Ducks, <Yeah>. absolutely. <laughs> Rudy. <laughs> more dynamic and interesting games. To watch that you visually, can, yeah. Yeah. So how do you take golf, which is really, I mean, we always joke about golf that um, what <laughs> golf need needs is what Fox viewers in the States had for hockey, hockey in the early 2000s, which was that blue streak behind the puck, yeah. right? Which blew my mind because how do you not, do you see, not the see the puck, puck, a black puck on a white ice surface? Golf really needs that because <laughs> the golf cameraman can literally just pan up to the sky whenever somebody takes a shot and then pan down to the green part and you'll have a really good chance of catching the ball when it lands but yeah. when it's up in the air how do you know like we really don't you, watch much golf <laughs> no we really don't <laughs> or play it either yeah. as you can tell but um bill paxton makes some really interesting choices um there's some early 2000s cgi yeah. which is not brilliant not it's great. not the greatest but it does make it visually appealing because sure. you know you're watching you follow the ball through the air literally you are on the ball as it's going and dropping into the cup or shots of um under the like within the cup as a putt is being made or underneath the tee which at this point in time was sand you'd have a cup of sand that you'd dump upside down and you'd put the ball on top in this little divot so there wasn't there were no no wooden tees which i thought was interesting i didn't know that um so you'd be underneath that pile of sand watching the the golfer tee off um and they were just like and it was really tense. So I felt I felt myself over these three, the first three rounds that they play, 
um, really tensing up, yeah. even though I knew that Francis Wume wins. <laughs> and Aiden, read, you didn't yeah. know that. No, you'd read the... I totally uh, spoiled it for him. You did, and I was... Because I just went in blind. I didn't read anything about mm-hmm. the film. Uh, just, uh, you know, prepared to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Like, I wonder if he's going to... I honestly assumed he'd make it to, like, a playoff, mm-hmm. which is basically what does happen, but I figured he'd lose. Um, so I had this, I had the same tension probably magnified even more than you, mm-hmm. uh, because I really didn't know how it was going to turn yeah. out. Um, but even you have knowing that mm-hmm. watching it felt that tension and it is, yeah, it's, it's actually fairly riveting. And yeah. I think, um, Mark Frost deserves credit for, uh, for allowing the script to do that mm-hmm. and allowing the film to, you know, be structured in that way because, um, you know, as a writer, you can say, oh, and then, you know, there's him staring down the green with his hilarious caddy who we haven't yes, mentioned. Yes, no, we haven't mentioned. We'll talk about it in a sec. <laughs> but, um, you know, and they have a little bit of banter and then he, he steps up and he, he prepares for his putts and it goes up and around the hill and down into the cup. And, you know, like that is... <laughs> you know that's how a lesser writer might might have written this this script yeah exactly right? well that no i'm saying that's what happens on on screen and it's really great to watch but yes whether or not that appeared in the script or not yeah. mark frost you know created the space for the director to yes uh, you know approach it and create something visually interesting out of yeah. it. um and that's a, a huge sign of faith in your director whether or not he knew who it was going to be or not or whether he had any say in, in how it was filmed after the fact uh it doesn't really matter because it's 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 a it's an in, it was an interesting choice that paid off really well mm-hmm. um and it could have gone really horribly but uh that second half of the film Long way coming around to this point. I think I started about 10 minutes ago. Is yeah. that The second half of the film is really, really fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And it brings to the fore all the good parts of the script as well as the not so great parts. Like it really does highlight the class discrepancies because the English golfers have an infight between the two lower class ones, including Varden. Um, versus the upper class yeah, amateur, Lord who, Northcliffe. Is that his name? That's his name. Oh my God, that's yeah. like Heathcliff, but even better. Uh, so Lord Northcliffe uh, is, you know, a pompous jerk mm-hmm. who, you know, insults his his lower class uh, countrymen and gets yeah. punched in the face. Yeah. And there's like a really great scene about that. Um, but it really does bring uh, Francis and Harry's stories of lower class um, desire to be the best at the game. Yeah. Um, to the fore and that's so it's, really it's great. love of the game that really pushes this it's not and and also about being the best but it's not about national pride yeah. necessarily yeah. it's about pride in in doing the best job you can let me tell you something i came here to win a trophy and on the face of it ted ray or i should carry it off not for you not for england but for sheer bloody pride at being the best that's why we do this and if mr Weemet wins tomorrow it's because he's the best because of who he is. Not who his father was, not how much money he's got. Because of who he bloody is! And I'll thank you to remember that. And yeah, Harry kind of summed it up there. Like, uh, you know, you do what you do because you want to be the best. And I mean, mm-hmm. golf is a very solitary sport. So mm-hmm. um, it makes sense that, you know, when it's you on the field uh, with your clubs, that's you and the field and the ball. And that's right. it, right? Right. Um, and well, that, maybe your caddy and your cat, uh, <laughs> and that's that's what the appeal of the game is, yeah. and that's what's captured really well in film here. Yeah, um, there were some creative license licenses, I mm-hmm. guess, taken with the actual story. Um, I guess there wasn't the the rain that kind of washes out oh, the yeah. the third round, third round wasn't necessarily entirely true. 
or it was only partially true. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen over the whole round, perhaps. Um, and in the end, I mean, spoiler alert, we may wins. Um, in the film, it shows him winning by a single stroke. But in reality, he finished birdie yeah. on the 17th hole and 18th. And mm-hmm. Varden double bogeyed both. Oh. To end the playoff, five strokes clear yeah, of Varden and six ahead of Ray. Yeah. So he really cleaned up. And yeah. the other guys the choked big time. Rounds, yeah. So there, I mean, I guess in that sense it does... Um, you can forgive the creative yeah. license being taken there, yeah. but it, it does... just amps up the the tension on that final, absolutely that final hole. Um, yeah, and so I think that is, and, and I mean other things like the fact that the golf, like the historical Brookline golf course, was not laid out the same way. I mean, I guess some yeah. people could be really nitpicky because it was filmed on a completely different course. So yeah. um, that's not here nor there. It's it's irrelevant to me as a, yeah, as as a, a film viewer, goer. I sure. still enjoyed it. Um, the end of the film comes around and we see the payoff for um, Francis being the amateur who wins. Um, Varden seeing that um, or supporting this this yeah. you know this friendship that kind of yeah. seems to blossom between the two of them. Whether or not that was real life, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we see the friendship between Francis and his caddy, Eddie, who was a 10 year old boy who was a friend of uh, the brother of a schoolmate or something. Yeah. yeah. Who was Uh, originally going to caddy for Francis, but then he got in detention or something. So so the younger brother is, is yeah. So, I mean, hilariously cast and, and brilliantly played. Yeah. So just a delight to watch, really. Yeah. And, and in real life, ended up being like a multimillionaire yeah. golf promoter and businessman. Like yeah. he was... He He's was a natural, a, like, yeah. Yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, their friendship is highlighted and, and strengthened, especially at the very end when um, the hat is passed through the crowd. People are trying to give Francis all the money and he's collecting it for Eddie instead, right? Um and then the relationship with his mother and father, Francis's mother and father, is also highlighted uh, very nicely. His mother comes to watch him. Always seems to like burst through the crowd to the green side. On you the eighteenth hole. On the eighteenth hole of every round, just Although to show she's up. She's literally shown like their their house is literally across yeah. like a, a tiny dirt road. From yeah. The so maybe she maybe she maybe sits she there just, and listens and yeah, then and comes she, out and that's the only and hole she borders she can watch. the eighteenth hole and so yeah. she just walks over <laughs> in her apron and <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, um, um, and yeah, her his father for sure. Uh, so he shows up at the very end and, and hands kind of over dramatic. a dollar bill or something yeah. to to the hat that they're passing around, which is like, I mean, we both said right before that happened, it's like, well, his father should have been there, and then when he showed up, we both started crying because I was like, oh my god, this is perfect. <laughs> this is a Disney movie after all. <laughs> But uh, so, I mean, it, it kind of hits all those emotional. Oh, and then also the girl. He gets the girl. Yeah, at the end, he gets the girl. At so, the end, but which yeah. I mean, all of those emotional payoffs happen, which is a satisfying end for the viewer. Yeah. You expect nothing less from a Disney film. Yeah. And um, and and Mark Frost as well, who likes to, yeah. to not leave things hanging like his uh, famous writing partner, David yes. Lynch. So um, absolutely. Let's let's roll with it. And, and it ends up being. A surprisingly good film. Yeah. I I'm definitely, I mean, I know my grandpa doesn't listen to our podcast, neither does my dad, but I'm definitely buying Mark Frost's book for them both yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. Like <laughs> That's a great truth buy. fact, yeah. it's happening. <laughs> but um it definitely uh was a very pleasant surprise to watch the film. I really enjoyed it. 
me too. I thought it was uh, really great. And uh, yeah, a, a pleasant surprise is right. Especially, I again, that pacing. There were a few of those issues like uh, there, his relationship with Eddie, the caddy, mm-hmm. doesn't appear at all uh before this like he literally just shows up to uh yeah the day the morning or the evening before the first round of the u.s is the first time you you meet them and it seems like there was an opportunity for them to have chatted when uh france was working in the the sporting goods store or any point before that really any point yeah mm -hmm. you could have started building that uh the love story is entirely it has nothing to do with anything else except for the slight conflict between uh, Francis and uh, his love interest uh, brother and, and father, father uh, yeah. which does reappear briefly. Uh, but that right could have that. happened without the love story. Exactly. So I, I really do feel like the love story was tacked on. I, yeah. If it if it was a true story, it was added on for the sake of that historical accuracy. And if it wasn't, it was added on for some other reason. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't feel necessary. Yeah. Uh, and but beyond that, I mean, I I really was surprised. And again, the golf scenes were really tense, really interesting, yeah. and uh, yeah, really well filmed. And yeah, there was there was a bit of comedy. It was. There weren't as many funny moments as I would have expected from having watched many other Mark Frost mm-hmm. productions. You know, he's got a unique sense of humor, and it does appear a couple times here. It's very restrained, though. It feels like this is yeah. a golf movie first and foremost. Yes. And, and um, I don't know if Mark Frost is an avid golf golfer um, the way that we know Kyle McLaughlin is an avid golfer mm. and, you know, other stars who are, including many hockey players who are avid golfers. Yes, they usually are. I really just want to shoehorn hockey into, <laughs> into everything, everything here. That's fine. Anyway, um, so I, I had no idea if he is, but it really does feel like there's a reverence being played yeah. to, or a reverence being paid to the sport itself. And yeah. that kind of, and it could just be because Mark Frost is, is being very respectful to the historical fact of this story um which i think would come across much more clearly in a book than in the film it's easy for a film to get off track and become something that it's not if you're Mm -hmm. you know in the hands of an unskilled director or with the wrong casting which neither of those seem to be the case so it 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 tackles this historical subject very reverently and i found that um to be kind of refreshing there were there weren't really any obvious um like you had the archetypes playing out and you yeah. had some of those um but the big moments and the big yeah. characters but they didn't they they were telegraphed but they you they know, also for, subverted a, your a expectations yeah, yeah like, so like you it was were saying nice. you expect terry and and francis to have like a rivalry and mm-hmm. instead they're basically besties like, yeah they're I mean, on really, the same side yeah. right i mean everybody's cheering for everybody else and i don't yeah. i i don't know much about golf i don't know if that's something that is common in the sport if people are more friendly but, but you know it doesn't you know, seem just, like they trash talk each other you know well, it's a gentleman's game yeah right? yeah and, so. and that's kind of what comes across but it, it's just interesting narratively because you know you need an antagonist but at the end yeah. of the day the course is the antagonist the course and you don't care. And the class structure. And the class structure is the antagonist. And they're both, but they're they're both heroes against that thing. So yeah. you kind of be happy with either of them winning, right? Which is odd, mm-hmm. um, because uh, the film does want you to to identify most with Francis. It's a Disney movie. It's an yeah. American guy. It's the U.S. Open. There's talk of patriotism. It's a little overblown at times, but you know, it it, it leads you to want uh, Francis to be the winner, and that that worked for me. I I mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I want Francis to win over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Varden the evil time. Brits yeah. but the evil Brits aren't all evil no. and that that and, does kind it, of yeah and it made it a bit easier to, to watch and I mean maybe that's a I mean maybe that's the best kind of villain is one mm-hmm. where you're kind of cheering for them too right <laughs> but 
I uh, wouldn't even call Harry Varden a villain. No, not at I all. Really He's wouldn't. really not. And even uh, Francis, you know, still idolizes him. Yeah. You know, they have a brief chat after the the victory, and he's like, "Well, you played really well too." He's like, "Yeah, thanks. I hope we play again. I someday. hope we play again. Yeah, yeah right." That, Which is great. I mean, yeah. that that um, it's a perfect Disney ending. Which is funny because, um, you know, you expect certain things from a Disney film. We we just did a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, the straight story. Um, the tr- the straight story. Mm-hmm. What did you call it? The straight story. Oh, I thought you called it something else. The true story or something. Like I just I just assume that you're gonna say the wrong I'm thing, Aiden. Punch you straight in the story. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, having watched the you know David Lynch Disney film and now Mark Frost Disney film. Yeah six years apart um i don't know where i was going with that thought but (laughs) no but i mean they're both kind of it's it's neat to have that kind of parallel yeah and and it shows how like it's a common point of reference you know how they both approached um their uh their tap at the disney tree i guess in their own unique ways you know lynch it's still a lynch movie there's Mm -hmm. still those lynch elements uh toned down and changed and tone shifted a little bit to match disney um and Frost has done the same thing again I I think a lot of uh, the deadly look of love you mm-hmm, know we went in mm-hmm. there ready to pan it but it, to me structurally it was very interesting and yeah. we talked about this for the podcast yeah. and this one too it's yeah. you know it shifted uh, your time focus uh, very deliberately you know mm-hmm. split the film into half and mm-hmm. half of it be on the golf course for those yeah. those three days or two and a half days that they were playing or something yeah. like that Um that was really, really interesting, similar to how Look of Love right. or the Deadly Look of Love, sorry, uh, you know, structured that that lifetime special venue mm-hmm. uh, for into the Mark Frost kind of paradigm. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's really interesting that they both did Disney movies. They both added their own touches while still fulfilling the Disney mandate of making you want to cry at the end of it. And both of them respected the true story nature yes, of their films. Exactly. So, Alvin Strait's story is told more or less 100% factually as it happened. And Mark Frost's take on Francis Mumet's story also follows uh, that natural progression as it happened pretty much to the letter. And um, and I think that that's, even even while you get those little, um, the, the playing up the class distinction, for example, which yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think now of other examples of, of that that have come across. I think, uh, I guess in Storyville, there's a little bit of that with, you know, the wealthy socialite who wants to help the the people whose yeah. land he sto- his family has stolen. There's some of that playing out. There's like this common ground that Mark Frost seems to strive for when it comes to his his characters and the human story behind the story that he's telling um, that you know, and I mean, I don't know the man. We've had, you know, we follow him on Twitter. You see a lot of the the disdain for the current American class political system and political yes. system that has sprung up around that class system. So I feel like it's a natural thing for his films and his books to kind of reflect reflect that, that a bit yeah. more, right? Where there's there's not so much of that class structure. And if there is, it's the it's the bad part. It's the bad guy, yeah. right? So I would love to see Mark Frost do something um, set in like where there's real class, like a royal thriller. Yeah, With some the queen like like Downton Abbey. Mark Frost directing an episode or writing really an episode good. of Downton Abbey. Yeah, or 
the, the crown. The crown, yeah. <laughs> he could do a really good. I'm sure it would be, would be amazing. Good. I'm just saying right. it would be it would be interesting to see how Let's you. Let's write into the BBC <laughs> and get that to happen. And to okay. Mark Brown. Yeah. We'll just add him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, to make comparisons to Twin Peaks seems actually kind of strange and yeah. silly. There really aren't any that no, I can think of. It's it's not really connected, except for, again, that love of Americana, which sure. we've talked about many times. It, which is funny, weird. because, I mean, having looked at the history of golf, the American links to golf are not that deep. No. They're not... Um, as with a lot of things that America has fascinations and loves with, like basketball, for example, which was invented by a Canadian. I'm never going to let that go, Dr. James Naismith. Yes. Also, um, the Mighty Ducks. Yep. You know, Anaheim being a mega hockey capital. Yeah, So right. I'm just trying to help you out with the whole bring it back to hockey thing. Yeah, thank you. And I another Disney movie based on sports. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes. Not a true story. Not a true story. Should have been a oh, true story. It? I don't think Quack. it was... Quack, 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 quack. quack. It's also my fulfilled my quota for Joshua Jackson references oh, today. So you thank you very much. Very positive. Um, my point again has completely eluded me. No, well, no Twin Peaks connections. No, no really, not really. Um, which is but, fine. But it's fine. I think yeah. I think the the love of Americana would be the the closest thing to that. And mm-hmm. I mean it. It really doesn't seem to get much more American than this underdog story. Yeah. Um, even when it's a Brit possibly winning, it still feels very, feels American, very American in that right. sense. Well, so. and, and, and yeah, in that sense, it is the most American story of, of overcoming class. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Americans love to ignore class mm-hmm. because they all believe, for the most part, that it shouldn't it shouldn't matter, and that it doesn't matter, and, and it, it doesn't, doesn't exist. Yeah. When most thinking people know it does yeah and it does influence a lot of things but uh you know that that's that that feel and that desire to mm-hmm. not have class be mm-hmm. a, an issue uh is still just so ingrained that of course you're going to root for francis as the working class guy because of course he should be allowed to play golf he's better than all the the aristocrats yeah. who play golf yeah, so exactly why why shouldn't he and right? everybody should have a chance because it's merit-based it's yeah. not class-based exactly. and and uh hashtag america <laughs> So what's next on the docket? Next up, we have your favorite Lynch film of all time, Lindsay. It's Inland Empire. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I, I guess that means I'm going to have to rewatch it. Maybe. Is there a Cliff's Notes version? Yeah, I wrote it for 25 years later. Actually, we are going to refer to that because uh, <laughs> I still don't understand Inland Empire at all after watching it. I think, what, three times we've watched it? Mm-hmm. Still don't understand what's going on. I think um, because Aiden likes to look, at, and we've discussed this a lot, Aiden does go into quite a lot of detail when he does his plot synopses. So yeah, sorry he, about that he really does like to figure out the what's in that, you know, the five W's, the who, what, when, where, why. He wants to figure out the what and more than anything. Inland Empire doesn't really have a no, single what. No. It has like 50,000 possible what's. So you have to look at the other things, like the whys and the hows. And, and no, because you need a what for all of those things. And I none don't of those think make you do. Sense. And this is There's where no our... There's asking uh, realistic questions of Inland Empire. So we will, yes. wait, next our episode... Our podcast will be very interesting as yeah, we get into it. But I think so. um, that takes us to the end of, of David Lynch. After that, we've got a few short films left of his but we've basically yep. reached the end of his career before um the return cropped up again in 2017 so um yeah. a few more mark frost things lined yes. up yep after this we have the two your uh the ones i've been waiting for the whole yeah. time we've been doing mark frost yeah. fantastic four yep 
And Rise of the Silver Surfer. There you go. Uh, but yeah, that'll be after David Lynch's uh, 2006... Mm, masterpiece. M- well, we'll call it a 2006 movie. <laughs> so we'll uh, see you again. No, talk to you again. Yeah, uh, do in, you, we don't... Oh. Uh, sorry, it's every time now. Aiden And Aiden <laughs> has been talking about doing a YouTube podcast for a while, like turning this into a YouTube. Yeah. It would be incredible. I would have to actually wear not pajamas. No, 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 when Lindsay, I do the podcast. Lindsay, uh, you don't get it. We're not videoing ourselves. Why would we want to show us? We have faces made for radio. And well, voices for silent film. That's right. But anyways, <laughs> we keep talking about anyways. We have something else on the screen besides us. But in any case. In any, in any, um, yeah. We won't see you next time. But we will hear from you or you'll hear from us. <laughs> we just can't do we these can't endings. Do, oh, no. my goodness. In any case, two weeks time, you'll hear from us. And uh, till then. Keep your stick on the ice. Don Cherry reference. Little, yeah, well, you know, you gotta get the hockey in where you can. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.